Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you would remember we'd looked at the first part of this passage, Luke chapter 4 and verses 14 to 30, the account where Jesus goes to preach in his hometown of Nazareth, and then he gets rejected. And you would also remember that this was the first recorded account of Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of Luke. And you'll probably also remember that Jesus had been on this preaching tour around the area known as Galilee up in north of Israel. He'd been going from synagogue to synagogue preaching. And, and, and it was quite a sensation. The word about him was spreading fast. He was very popular. He was trending on Twitter. Everyone wanted to hear him. And, and now he's come to his hometown his hometown of Nazareth, and today he is the guest preacher. This is a great encouragement for all preachers like myself. God had one son, and he made him a preacher. And so everyone's excited, everyone's come to see this hometown boy made good. Jesus knows everyone there, and everyone there knows Jesus. They've heard all the reports about him, and now they want to see it for themselves. And there's this real sense of excitement and anticipation. But before Jesus preaches, he, he first stands up to read the, the Bible reading from a scroll. In those days, they didn't have iPads or books. They used a scroll. And the reading he reads is what we would call Isaiah chapter 61 and verses 1 to 2, albeit a slightly edited version. He slips in a verse from Isaiah 58, and then he ends very abruptly. He, he suddenly just stops halfway through the last line, the last sentence. He just stops. Why does he do that? Well, that will become clear later. And this is the reading. We, we read in verses 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he suddenly stops halfway through that last line. Interesting. Now, this passage, Isaiah chapter 61, was a very popular passage in those days. It was one of the so-called servant of the Lord passages. You see, within the book of Isaiah, there's this mysterious anointed person. You have the anointed king, the anointed servant, and then the anointed prophets. And this mysterious anointed person became known as the Messiah, the hoped-for Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah literally means anointed. And they believed that when this Messiah appeared, he would put the whole world to right. He would, he would usher in a new era of God's salvation. And then Jesus says in, or we read in verse 20, Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. In those days, they would sit down to preach. I like that. I'm still thinking of introducing it here. 
And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were all looking at him because he's about to preach. Verse 21, he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. What a thing to say. He's effectively saying, I am him. I am that anointed prophet who is going to usher in a whole new era of God's salvation. I am the Messiah, the hopeful Messiah. And this new era of God's salvation is starting today through me. Wow. What a claim to make. So how does his, the home crowd of Nazareth respond? We read in verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. This seems to suggest that they were really pleased with what he said, well, at least initially. But the question, isn't this Joseph's son, has a negative connotation. How can we believe this? This is just Joseph's son. And Jesus seems to know that they're about to taunt him with the proverb, physician, heal yourself. And they're about to demand, do here in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. In other words, prove yourself. If you do some of these miraculous signs, then maybe we'll believe you. Why are they about to taunt him? Wow, they're so upset with what he's saying. Have you ever wondered that? Why they rejected Jesus? I mean, they were all so excited when he arrived, but now their atmosphere has changed. Well, let's look at verse 22 again. It says, They all spoke well of him and were amazed at, his, at the gracious words that came from his lips. Now, that's actually a bit of a misleading translation because the word well has been added. The Greek text just says, all spoke of him. It, it doesn't state whether they spoke well or bad of him. Just, they, they all spoke of him. So they were all speaking about him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That, that, that's the key. They, they're amazed. They're astonished. You could even say they're shocked at the gracious words, at the words of grace. That he's talking about grace. Grace for everyone. You see, it's not so much what Jesus said as what he didn't say that offends them. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 2, the last line of Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 2 says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus skipped out that second line. Jesus purposely and intentionally stopped before that second line. And, and Jesus just ignored the rest of Psalm 61, which goes on to talk about how God's going to judge all the nations, the foreigners, the non-Jews. And how God's going to drive them out. And actually how the foreigners, how the non-Jews are going to become subservient to the Jews and going to serve the Jews and they're going to give the Jews all their wealth. 
Jesus just ignores all of that. And so Jesus has taken one of their favorite texts, their most favorite texts about God judging the foreigners, kicking out the foreigners, and he's turned it into a passage of grace and forgiveness. And they don't like that. That didn't go down well in little old Nazareth. Nazareth is in an area called Galilee. Galilee was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. But the Jews wanted to reclaim Galilee and make it Galilee of the Jews. So they moved into the land to reclaim it. Nazareth was actually one of the new settler towns where people had moved, intentionally moved into Galilee in order to displace the foreigners. So they don't like foreigners. And they definitely don't like this type of preaching. And so they're offended. I mean, who does this little boy think he is? Turning one of our favorite texts about God judging the nations and turning it into a text of grace? He should know better. He's from here. He's from Nazareth. And, and the, the proverb, physician, heal yourself, is possibly a way of saying, heal your own people, not the outsiders. F focus on your own people, not on the foreign. So how does Jesus respond? Does he go, oh, no, 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 I, think, I, I didn't mean that. I really didn't mean that. I was just about to get to that bit of, you know, get rid of the foreigner stuff. I'm, I'm just, hold on, I'm getting there. No. No, Jesus just carries on. And we read in verse 24, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Do you know what an expert is? Someone from out of town. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed only Naaman the Syrian. So Jesus responds by telling them about two prophets in the Old Testament. And in doing so, Jesus is aligning himself with two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. Now, Elijah helped a widow, but not a Jewish one, a foreigner from Zarephath. You can read about that in 1 Kings Chapter 17. And Elisha helped a leper, but not a Jewish one, a foreigner from Syria. In fact, Naaman was the general in the Syrian army. He was a general in the army of the enemy. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 5. And so Jesus is showing them from their own Bible that God has always shown favor to the foreigners. And that sometimes God has even overlooked his own people in order to show favor to the foreigner. And Jesus is aligning himself with 
the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. He's effectively saying, just like their ministry, my ministry is not just for Jews, but it's for all people, including non-Jews. Now also take note, one was a woman and the other was a man. One was very poor. She was a poor widow. The other was very, very rich. He was a powerful general in the army. Jesus has come to proclaim good news for all people, for Jews and non-Jews, for men and women, for rich and poor, for all people. But they did have something in common. They were both spiritually poor. Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be literally poor. It means you have to be spiritually poor. The spiritually poor were the outcasts, the the marginalized, the rejected, those who the the rest of the world had, had forgotten about and mistreated. Those who knew they needed help and they needed forgiveness. And the good news is that God hasn't forgotten them. God does forgive them through his Messiah. And both this woman and this man are spiritually poor. She is a poor widow. He is a leper. They are both outcasts. They are both outside respectable society. They both are non-Jews, so they both are religious outcasts. They exclude it. They both know they need help. They both know they need forgiveness. And so Jesus has come for all people who are spiritually poor. In fact, Jesus has only come for the spiritually poor. Be they Jew or non-Jew, male or female, rich or poor. So Jesus has come for all people who are spiritually poor. And by using these two foreigners as an example, Jesus is effectively saying to the crowd in front of him, if you want to receive the benefits of this new era of salvation that I'm bringing, then you need to be like these foreigners. You need to become spiritually poor like them. And you need to have faith like these foreigners. I don't just want you to tolerate them, accept them. I want you to learn from them. They had great faith. Unlike the rest of the Israelites during their day, and unlike the Jews in Nazareth during Jesus' day, they had great faith. And if we want to experience the benefits of this new era of salvation, if we want to receive forgiveness and freedom and healing from Jesus, then we too need to become spiritually poor, and put our faith and our trust in Jesus. So, how does the home crowd in Nazareth respond now? We read in verse 28, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. They most likely accused him of blasphemy against God, 
which was punishable by being stoned to death. And in those days they would hurl you over a cliff and then hurl stones down on you until you died. But Jesus very mysteriously just walked straight through them. And over here we get a hint at how the gospel is going to end. We get a foreshadow of Jesus' death on the cross and his mysterious rising from the dead. But more so, what we discover over here is that Jesus' message and ministry trigger a deep and violent hostility. Under the appearance of religiosity, there's all this deep-seated anger. Why? It's because they're spiritually middle-class. They're not spiritually poor. They're spiritually middle-class. What do I mean by that? Well, a spiritually poor person knows they're not sorted, knows they need help, whereas a spiritually middle-class person thinks they're sorted. A spiritually middle-class person believes they've earned God's favor, they've earned the right, now God owes them. I mean, who are these guys who want to kill Jesus? They're the religious guys. They're the guys who are reading the Bible. They're praying every day. They go to synagogue every week. They're good guys. They're decent guys. They're respectable guys. They're the nice guys. And now they're not like the other people. Now they think God owes them. God owes them. They've earned the right. Now God needs to do what they want. And of course, in this context, what they want is God to drive out these foreigners so they can enjoy the land for themselves. And it's so easy to become spiritually middle class. Oh, if I just follow all the rules, if I just obey the Bible, if I read the Bible, if I pray all the time, if I come to church regularly, if I'm a very, very good person, then God owes me. And God God has to give me a good life. God has to answer all my prayers. God has to do what I want. It's actually a form of rebellion. A very deceptive form of rebellion because it it looks so religious. It looks so holy. But it's actually all about getting God to do what you want rather than you doing what God wants. It's all about you controlling God rather than God controlling you. It's rebellion through obedience. And spiritually middle class people get really angry when God acts like he doesn't owe you. When God suddenly shows up in your life and does something that shows you that God doesn't owe you, that you don't control God, you go through the roof. You get really angry because underneath the appearance of all this religiosity is a deep-seated anger. That's what happens here. Look at the nice people, the the reading the Bible people, the going to synagogue people. Jesus arrives and basically says to them, look here, I don't owe you anything. You don't control me. I don't do what you want. And they try to kill him. So 
Search your heart. Are you spiritually middle class? Secondly, spiritually middle class people get very angry when they see grace. You see, they, they, they've, they believe they've earned God's favor. They've worked really hard. They've earned the right. Now God owes them. They, they've earned it. They sorted, they're good, they're respectable. They're not like other people. And so they get really angry when they suddenly see God's grace and forgiveness being given freely to less desirable individuals, to outcasts, to foreigners, to non-Jews, to other people who haven't worked as hard as we've worked. They get angry. And they get really hot under the collar if you just mention the poor, the immigrants, the foreigners, the refugees, or some other kind of socially excluded person. They get really hot under the collar and they get really angry. Let alone if you actually say to them, no, God loves them and God forgives them and actually God wants you to help them. Do you get angry and hot under the collar? At God's grace, it's a sign that you are spiritually middle class. You know the sad thing? Spiritually middle class people would rather kill Jesus than kill their religion. They love their religion more than Jesus. You know the other sad thing? There's no record of Jesus ever returning to Nazareth. Spiritually middle class people think they sorted. They don't need help. They don't need Jesus. So Jesus gives them what they want. And he leaves them. What's the solution? Well, the solution is simply become spiritually poor. Spiritually poor people know they're not sorted. They know they need help, they need forgiveness. Spiritually poor people never feel that God owes them anything, but rather that they owe God their whole life. Spiritually poor people don't get angry at God's grace, but rather they rejoice and they give thanks because they know they need it. They desperately need it themselves. Spiritually poor people don't try to control God, but rather they become a channel of God's grace to other people. And they become more and more generous and more and more loving and more and more forgiving of other people. And you know what? Spiritually poor people are so much nicer than spiritually middle class people. So are you spiritually middle class or are you spiritually poor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we read this, this story, we, we just 
Our mind marvels at how, how could people possibly reject Jesus, chase him out and try and kill him. But Father, as we reflect on whether we're spiritually poor or spiritually middle class, Father, we, we confess that it's so, e- it's so easy for us to slip into that spiritually middle class mindset. And Father, we get, sometimes we get angry at you, we get angry at grace, we, we, we have a sense of entitlement, we think we've deserved it, we've worked hard, you owe us a good life, you owe us answered prayers, you owe us this, you owe us that, you need to do what we want. Father, won't you forgive us? Won't you forgive us? Help us to realize that we are spiritually poor that we do need help. We need your love. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness in our life. And Father, help us to always realize that so that we can always be loving and kind and gracious to others. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk